It is Ugly Sweater Sunday, and you guys did good. I see some real commitment out here today. Thank you for participating in that. You know, one of the prerequisites for an ugly sweater is that it doesn't fit right. So here I am in my ugly sweater. I hope it's not too distracting because we're speaking today on one of the most consequential subjects in all of Scripture, love. The subject permeates all of the Bible. It is who God is. It's one of the, maybe arguably the dominant theme of all of Scripture. And yet love, a word so manipulated, so molested by our culture, that we miss entirely the meaning of it in Scripture. Love. So today I want to take a few minutes and I want to explore in Scripture how we are to understand this concept or this posture or the action that is love. And to do that today, I want to begin in the beginning. Our Bible is open with this beautiful poetry, a couple chapters of poetry about creation. And we missed the poetry part because, of course, it's translated for us into English. But what it is is this beautiful description of a God who created a loving being that created. What we read in the first two chapters of Genesis is this remarkable bit of poetry that describes the character of God. It describes the intent of a creator God. God's character, as described in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, stands in, in sharp contrast to the, uh, to the ancient narratives of creation, to the ancient religions. God is not petty or selfish or spiteful or angry like many of the gods that we can read about in other religions. No, God declared his creation good. In intimate ways, he formed humanity, declared them good. God did not choose a power of, uh, or a posture of power over his creation, but instead chose to walk with them in the early morning dew in a garden. You hear this poetry as it describes the character, the nature of a God who is described in scripture as love. Now, of course, humanity turns away from God. It's not far into Scripture at all before the poetry has ended and the corruption and the brokenness and the pain has begun to take over the narrative. And yet we read in Scripture of a God that is relentless in his pursuit of humanity. We read of a God who continues over and over again in sacrificial ways to pursue his good creation whom he loves. Creation broken by sin and the weight of the world and all that humanity has chosen for themselves, but a God who in love continues to pursue. Now, if some of you grew up in the church and had a perspective of God that kind of revolved around an angry, spiteful God in the Old Testament, and then you see all this love in Jesus as he came into the world, friends, we have misunderstood the scope and the direction of this biblical narrative. It begins with a poem about a God that loves and walks with his good creation. All of scripture is an invitation to know a God of love. And all of our lives is an invitation to know the love of God is revealed through the Holy Spirit. It is our pursuit. 
Scripture reveals God as the creator. In, this, in these uh, poems that I'm mentioning in the beginning of our story that speak of creation, it speaks of, um, it speaks of the, the spirit hovering over the waters. Okay? And to an ancient ear, they would have heard as the waters uh, the chaos and the disorder. And you see this God, how curious the spirit of God hovering over the chaos and disorder that exists in the world. We read throughout the Old Testament of humanity failing their end of covenant, choosing ways other than God, and yet God's relentless pursuit. And as the Old Testament concludes, we've realized that humanity's brokenness looks almost unsolvable. Enter the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. John three sixteen describes God's love and the choice that Jesus would come into this world in these ways. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God demonstrates his love in atoning for the brokenness in this world and bringing his beloved creation back into relationship with us, with himself. Now, the New Testament scripture, the early church, imagine shortly after Jesus has been crucified and risen again, is in pursuit of understanding God. It's our pursuit this morning as we explore God of love. But just imagine the realized theology. You see, Israel has for generations, for hundreds and thousands of years, known of God and known of the Spirit of God and heard the, the prophets prophesy that a Messiah is coming. There's more to this. But imagine the realized theology as Jesus, their Messiah, comes, God in human form, incarnate, and yet he didn't look or act at all like Israel expected or hoped he would. And so the Old Testament pointed to a creator God and a spirit that's active and a Messiah to come, and then Jesus incarnate is on earth. He was crucified, and he rose again. The early church is realizing, discovering in the character of Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you have seen the Father. You know the Father through me. And so the church is realizing in these early centuries who God is through the character of Jesus. God revealed in human form. By 325 A.D., uh, the church meets at Nicaea to develop a creed that is a statement of faith that would guide the church, that would hold the church in the basic beliefs of what we understand about God. And central to this creed is an understanding of a triune God, an understanding of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So in 325 and then further developed in 381, uh, this creed is written, and it speaks of one God, the Creator, one son, the same essence or the same substance as the Father, not created but eternal, who is incarnate. God, Jesus, comes in human form, who is crucified and rose again. This Nicene Creed speaks of the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. And it says, and all, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are worshipped. 
This is that developing theology and understanding of a God that is three persons and yet one. Understand clearly we're not talking about three gods, but one God that is three. And that if that stretches your understanding or imagination, good. Sit in that spot. Do not imagine that we can fully understand the vastness of God. But this is what is revealed in Scripture, what is revealed through the witnesses that walked with Jesus, what is revealed by the Spirit in our lives. And understanding a triune God, I go here because of this. Understanding a triune God is central to our understanding a God of love. Let's come back to the subject of love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8 states that simply, God is love. And we'll go to that passage in, in a few minutes. God has always existed, three and one, in a loving relationship. God exists in love. God is love. C.S. Lewis says it in, in these terms. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. Do you get the argument he's making? The fact that God exists in community is what defines, is what enables us to understand he has eternally been and is the God of love. Ontologically, in his nature, God is love. Three in one. God is and has always been love. So what is love? We're going to look in Scripture here for a few minutes. You see, some caution that using this word love in relation to God will bring about tragic misunderstanding. So I hesitate sometimes to say that God is love because our cultural understanding of love might lead us to unbelievable places, right? Some might take their understanding or their experiences of love in this life and try to apply that to God. We're applying the conversation in the wrong direction if we do that. Instead, let's seek today to understand in Scripture what is love, what is, who is God, and then apply that in our lives. In definition, in cultural terms, love is a feeling. It's something we could fall in and out of. You can love pizza and you can love your spouse, and I hope those are very different things, but we use the term equally, right? Love, culturally, is a confusing thing. Today, let's look at scriptural terms to understand a little bit more about the subject of love. Now, in the 90s, there was a band called DC Talk, okay? And I think DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline was the first concert I ever went to in my life. It's the first one I remember. Um, and DC Talk, uh, despite the very bad 90s clothes and the very 90s music, if you go back and listen to it now, got one thing right. Love is a verb, okay? Love is a verb. Uh, a while back, we did a, a series in First John and it speaks a lot of love. And kind of the working definition that developed out of that, that study and series was this. Love is a posture towards and action taken for the well-being of another. That's kind of just my working definition of love. Love is uh, not so much a feeling, although there is a discussion to be had around the feeling of love. But instead, love is a posture towards and action taken 
for the behalf, on the behalf for the well-being of another person. So let's begin with God's love. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, we spoke of this a minute ago. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not uh, love does not know God because God is love. Okay, and then it goes on in verse 9. This is what I wanted to focus on in this moment. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Notice it doesn't speak of how God feels towards us. It speaks of this is how God showed his love. He sent Jesus into the world that he might die, that we might live. Romans 5.8 describes it in these terms. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were drowning under the waters of sin, while we were without hope in and of ourselves, God demonstrates his love in this. Christ died for us. God is love. And so his character and his action are those of love, demonstrated most poignant in Jesus, in Christ, in crucifixion, in resurrection, in inviting us back into right relationship when we had no ground to stand on of our own. And so we begin to transition. God is love. Then as followers of Jesus, as uh, as citizens of the kingdom of God, what is love to look like in our lives? Henry Nouwen writes the book, The Life of the Beloved, and it's a beautiful book, and we could have spent our whole time on this subject. You are the beloved. You are chosen by God and loved, right? That's an important, important theme. And he's going to help us make this transition from a God who loves to our love in the world. I think I could say that better. A God who has so loved us that his love overflows into the world through us. Henry Nouwen describes, when we claim uh, and consistently reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their own chosenness. Instead of making us feel better about who we are, uh, or making us feel better, more precious, or valuable than others, um, our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. That is the great joy of being chosen, the discovery that others are chosen as well. In the house of God, there are many mansions. There is a place for everyone, a unique and special place. Once we deeply trust that we ourselves are precious in God's eyes, we are able to recognize the preciousness of others and their unique places in the heart of God. If we are to truly realize that God of love has chosen us, the God of love has chosen you, Henry Nouwen argues that it will overflow in the lives of others. If God could choose me, then God can also choose and has chosen that person. So what does our love look like in this world? Jesus uh, in John thirteen thirty four says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let me say this is a very high bar. Because we've already read the way God, the way Jesus demonstrated his love was in self-sacrifice. And now Jesus says this one command I have for my followers. I want you to love others as I loved you. In Luke 10.25, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up 
to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He turns the question back on the expert in the law. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Revealed in the Old Testament scriptures was this, these greatest commandments. If you will love God with everything that you have and everything that you are and love humanity around you, then you have fulfilled all the law and all the prophets. You are living in the way of a God who is love. But this man, wishing to justify himself, he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell the story of the good Samaritan, an absolute oxymoron in first century Israelite culture. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. They were the despised foreigners, the traitors of the nation Israel. Jesus tells the story of a good Samaritan who sees a person in need, hurting, beat up on the side of the road and picks him up and takes him and pays for his recovery. And Jesus asks the man, so who was the neighbor in the story? And the man is forced to say, well, the Samaritan guy, I guess, was the good one, was the neighbor. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. The call of our faith, it is a high, high bar, one which none of us will reach. Jesus is the pinnacle of what love is. None of us will reach it, but understand the mark is, the goal is, the bar that that we strive to attain is the kind of love that Jesus has. And Jesus says that applies to everyone in your life. Anyone and everyone. Jesus goes so far as to say, love your enemies, right? What a radical, radical, countercultural call for our lives. Would we choose to love in the way Jesus loves? Let me also mention, love is a gift of the Spirit, okay? In our own strength, I don't think we have any shot at getting even close to the bar that's set in Scripture. But it's also a gift of the Spirit that we are invited to receive the love of God more fully, that it might overflow more fully in our lives. Who's hurting in your life? This is the Advent season in which we remember, yes, Jesus came. Love has come into this world. We also remember that in the kingdom of God, love is coming into this world presently, here and now. And we long for a day when love comes in its fullness and fruition as Jesus comes again. Who's hurting in in need of love in your life right now? In love, we are invited to move towards others. To not just feel a particular way, even in spite of maybe feeling a lack of love, to choose the posture of, to choose engagement in a loving manner. Have you you ever noticed how your understanding, your mentality can be drug along by the little actions of love that you choose? Do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes the feeling isn't there at all. I mean, we feel anger towards a person. But a little act of love might start to shift our mentality a little bit. Love is a verb. It's a choice. It's a posture. It's an action we take in the lives of others. I, um, I have a friend, and, uh, and he has some developmental disabilities, and uh, he, uh, he lives in a group home here in the Tri-Cities. And there was an incident in his home a little, uh, 
while back, and uh, the police were called, and um, a charge was filed against him. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in our court systems. I hope many of us haven't. But for those that have, it is a scary, intimidating, (laughs) uh, difficult world to navigate. Imagine my friend standing in court, asked to give his plea before a judge, not understanding so much of what took place or what is developing in that moment. Myself and another pastor in Spokane and friends started attending court with our friend and sitting in there as his advocate, and many of the questions and conversation is directed at us as we stand with our friend um, there. And I was reflecting with um, a couple guys that I do spiritual direction with, and the question posed to me was, what do you hope will come of this? Naturally, you hope you'll see him find justice and representation, and we're working towards all those things, and and there is hope in this story uh, right now. But they said, what do you really hope would happen? And this is what I felt like the Spirit impressed upon me, said to me in that moment. What do I hope would develop out of this scenario, this story? I would love for at least one person, but I hope it's many more than that, would recognize the church for the way it loves and speaks for and advocates for and moves towards some of the least in our society, right? I would love for people to recognize the church for its love and its posture of concern for the well-being of people in our community. Can you imagine if our church, not just our little church, the church of the Tri-Cities chose in this Advent season to love like God loves us? Can you imagine the impact it has on a community and the world if we said regardless of our differences, regardless of the past or the hurt or whatever that is, I choose to love. I choose to take action for the well-being of people around me. It is a high, high calling. But by the power of the Spirit, may we be a people that learn to love. Now, each week during Advent, uh, we've been wanting to pause and acknowledge that we live in a world that we often don't see hope, joy, peace, and love. Well, we see it in glimpses, right? It it is here because the kingdom of God has come into this world and is coming more fully into this world, but so much of this world does not operate on the principles of love, right? We see war and we see hatred and we see injustice. And so today I want to pause And we as a people want to pray and invite into this world, as in the Lord's Prayer we recited earlier, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. God, may there be more love in this world. And where there is violence and where there is hatred and injustice and hurt, God, may you bring love into this world. And not just in an ethereal way, may you use us to be agents of your love in this world. So we pause now to pray. God, thank you for this day and an opportunity uh, to look at your word. God, thank you that you are a God of love, as demonstrated in the lives of the Israelite people. God, that you are relentless in your pursuit of humanity. God, thank you that you love us as a people.
Thank you that you love us as individuals. And God, may we see your, your love towards the world around us. God, may we be so full. Spirit, fill us with love to the extent that it can overflow into the lives of people around us. God, in this season where there's hatred and hurt and violence and injustice, God, may people know your love. Give us the boldness. Give us the energy, the vision to be agents of your love in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the message of hope today. God loves you. God loves us. And he invites you to choose a loving posture in the life and in the, world, in the lives of people and in the world around you. I'm going to invite the band back up. Uh, we're going to take communion as we close out today. Communion is a time in which we, uh, we remember Jesus. His body that's broken represented by the bread and his blood that was poured out represented by the grape juice. Communion is a time when we remember how much God loves us. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that because of his death and resurrection, we might live in Jesus. And so today we take communion remembering um, Jesus, his loving sacrifice. In John fifteen twelve, we read Jesus saying, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And you are my friends. So when we take communion, we remember this. The greatest act of love ever demonstrated was Jesus in his death on that cross. And we remember a body broken and blood poured out in love. And we remember the hope in resurrection and the new life offered through Jesus. As the band plays for us, uh, you're invited uh, to go to one of the four tables here. Uh, Go ahead and take communion there. Uh, If you want to pause on your own, uh, I think a simple prayer, just one word. Let's do two words. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Think that. Oh, is that three words? Okay. Let me do that again, and then I'm going to cut all that out of the live feed later. Uh, just three words. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. That's three. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time uh, to remember Jesus, your sacrifice. We're thankful for your love. Pray um, that as we receive your love, as we receive it, Deep down, not on a surface level, but really receive the fact that you so loved us that you would give your life. God, may that shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the invitation today is to love. Uh, First to receive the love of God and then to reciprocate it in the world around us. Now that love's going to pour out, flow out in many different ways. It matters in our households. That we choose not just a feeling of love, but a posture, an action of love towards our spouses, our children, our parent. Let's be people that love. But it goes beyond our households, the coworker that you just don't like being around, right? 
the neighbor that's always yelling about the leaves. I don't know. What is it in your life? May we be a people that receive the love of God deep within and reciprocated in this world. Friends, thank you for joining us today. We pray you have a blessed week, and we'll see you soon.